Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain Podcast. Owen, Kieran, and Ken are all here. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. How are you? Henry Shefflin is retired. I'm not sure if you heard the news. It has been fairly widely covered in the last 24 hours. So we had Henry on, our, on Second Captains Live last year, and... It was a funny one because when you're interviewing somebody who everybody wants to know if they're going to retire or not, but you kind of know when you're interviewing them, they're not going to tell you. Mm. So it's kind of difficult to, even to know how to broach the subject. They're bored talking about it, very bored talking about it. You, you, you get that sense of And in of a weird kind of way, he didn't know himself. Yeah, I, do, I don't think. Well, that's the thing. I got the sense that what, what I remember getting out of that, the sense of getting, I got out of that chat was that he was so satisfied with his year that he'd gotten back the, the previous year he felt he just couldn't have gone on the note that he had left the previous year getting sent off in a championship game injured for a lot of the season as well I I, I certainly got the sense that right he can he can leave this now he'd have been a happy, happy place. to leave yeah, yeah. That he'd have been happy to leave but that was no guarantee that he was you weren't sure that he's going to retire then because I've uh, I, you'd think it's a, it's a clear cut enough uh, th- you know, clear cut enough decision once you've won that all Ireland and then you go and, and you win your club but there was this image that he presented yesterday of himself sitting at the couch at home with his wife watching the Kilkenny Clare game and realizing then I'm sure he he was thinking I'm going to retire but realizing only then that yeah no I'm I'm a supporter now I'm not yeah. watching this as a player well yeah I mean it's it's the idea that uh, that he's known for months and now he's told us when I don't think that was that, that was the case I don't think that he knew in October when he was talking to us and maybe he just completely put it to the back of his mind January February March while the Ballyhale uh, team were going on to win the All Ireland Club. That he thought it, that it was it existed in his mind as a nebulous concept that mm. I'm going to retire. I'm probably going to retire, but no decision has actually been made. And then he he sat down on Sunday. He, his quotes on it for me yesterday are yeah, actually go really good. It, yeah, it wasn't yeah. anything about the game itself. This was the Kilkenny Clare game that was on television on Sunday. It wasn't anything about the game itself. Saturday I was becoming more comfortable with it, and come Sunday then I was looking at Kevin Kelly and John Joe Farrell and saying. I remember when I started, so I felt it was time for myself. 
my heart was saying I'd love to go back. I was looking in as a supporter more than that's my team and I'm going to go back to them. And, th- and that's, th- that's a realisation that might creep up on you, but at the same time is quite a shock when you're looking at the Kilkenny Hurling team and you're saying, I, d- I don't know what training's like. Yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't know who's going well. I don't know uh, what the team is going to be for next week. And that's it. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm never going to know now. Uh, yeah. That, 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 I'm sure that that comes as quite a shock to a guy like Henry Sheffin, who's been in there since 1999. Did you hear about Cody's reaction, Ken, when Sheffin told him? Uh, Cody, yeah. Cody broke down and wept. I heard that. Yeah, he threw himself at Henry <laughs> Sheffin's feet and begged him yeah. not to go. I'll die if you walk away from me, Henry. <laughs> Promise me you'll never leave, Henry. No, quite, uh, quite obviously, uh, Brian Cody. Sheffin was asked, "Did he get emotional?" Sheffin said. <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. Yeah, uh, certainly get mo- He did give Sheffern the ultimate badge of honor, though, over these, these tea and scones they had. The ultimate Brian Cody. This is the biggest co- compliment, genuinely, I'd say, that Brian Cody could give somebody, a, a player that is. You got the best out of yourself, Henry. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that is big. I wouldn't say Cody goes around heaping praise. Is that, is that almost a double edged kind of a compliment? I don't think so. Is it? Yeah, you really scraped out every last <laughs> ounce of of what you had going for you. Uh for Cody, I I, no, I don't no. think. I think that is exactly what Cody thinks. Makes I, I, and I think maybe he knew as well that if you're going to say something complimentary to Henry Shefflin, yeah, that's the thing to say to Henry. Shefflin, you're looking. You're looking at that from the point of view of sports supporters who see Kevin so Keegan, uh, a wonderful footballer, not the most talented, but he made every use of every last scrap yeah. of talent. That but he it had. is interesting. There is a sense that we always there's almost more of a mystery, a mystique, and aura around the wasted talent. The guy who was brilliant, but only for a short amount of time, or maybe not as brilliant as he should have been. Uh-huh. You can, no one will ever ask how how good could Shefflin have been. Yeah, you know, that's the one question they'll never ask about him. Everything that Shefflin could possibly have achieved, he achieved. The really great uh-huh. sportsmen don't have to be too cool to try hard. You know, <laughs> if you're, I, I think Shefflin was pretty quite well aware from pretty early on in his career that he did have a talent. But I think everybody says it's not just that he outworked other people; he just had that sort of steely uh, did Cody give him a hug did Cody give him a hug when in the over the tea when when, uh, when Shefflin they hug at the end of all Ireland finals there's plenty of photographs of, yeah, of but Cody warm, is, warmly embracing each other your but adrenaline I, is really flying at that stage yeah, I would say I'm not the huggiest here. I'm not as huggy as you for example but I would, I would if I, I, if I had my way I'd hug both of you guys right now you'd be hugging us all through the podcast but I'd say if I won an all Ireland with you I would wrap Wrap my arms around that bony the, body of yours. Let the big bear get his buzz on you. You're, you're more, definitely more the Brendan Rogers range, though, than the Brian Cody range. You know, you're a tactile yes. man. Well, yeah, I, I, some I, men I, are, I. Some men are tactile, mm. you know, and, and Cody maybe not so much. But Your I, I, Brendan Rogers is your Kiran Murphy's of this world. Yeah. Cody, though, I mean, would it have been a handshake? A handshake, yeah. yeah a handshake. What, which, which kind of handshake? A, a, a traditional, a classic handshake, or one of those sort of, you know, Kind of more like a Tilted arm up. wrestling position, you know, palm to palm. Sort no, of. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that's just a formal no, handshake. No, a handshake. Can I, can I add something to that? Yeah, I think it was a formal handshake, right, with the right hand, elbow gripping handshake. with the left. Yeah. N- no, no, not elbow gripping. A affectionate punch to the chest. Do you know those kind of ones? Chest? Just sort of a well done. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I could see that. That's a real. I could totally see that. You don't, you don't see that. Um. I, I don't, I don't think it's anyone's ever punched me. It's just I'm not sure I'd know how to respond. If somebody did that during a handshake. Well, you'd be more of a continental sort of slap on the cheek. Uh, in my imagination, it was a if lingering pinched, kiss. Imagine if he'd pinched, pinched Shefflin's cheek. 
<laughs> Listen, I, I think but, you're, you know, a, a mock a mock punch, punch to the, the jaw. Yeah. Let, you know that one of those. You know, Here's looking, looking at, at you, kid. Humphrey <laughs> Bogart style. Yeah. We, uh, we're, we're, listen, this is about Henry Shefflin, not about Brian Cody. Uh, Shefflin's standing in popularity has been uh, it's been talked about quite a lot. But I think you always see it. I, I'm always interested in what other great sports people think about yeah. these guys. O'Driscoll, Brian O'Driscoll. Well, Brian O'Driscoll was asked in the Guardian two or three years ago, "Are you Ireland's greatest ever sports person?" And he immediately shot back, "No, that's Henry Shefflin." Uh, he was always going to shoot back with something there, with by the something, way. Yes, I would, I would argue that I'm probably our greatest yeah. ever sports person. But I mean, if it would be a lot easier to say Roy Keane to an English journalist. Absolutely, yeah. Or to say Padraig Harrington to an English journalist. Uh, Rather than getting a blank stare from the yeah, journalist. What the hell are you talking about? Um, and it, it is. I mean, I think that there's a lot in Shefflin's career that sportsmen really, really appreciate. And that, what we what we were talking about, maybe for fans, it's the the wasted talent, the guy that could have been brilliant, that yeah. is a cult hero to us, uh, a guy that you like more than more than you should. Why, well, you know, Robbie Fowler is kind of idolised despite really only having two good seasons and then... Completely. No, he is. There, there are. There, people are idolised like that, but I, I would, I don't know, I, I would think maybe sports people, I don't know. We're, we're, That's the point I'm making. Yeah. Exactly. That, that, that it would be that sports people have seen in Shefflin everything that they would like to see in themselves. It's that we see him, we've seen him so much over the years, not just the longevity, the fact that he has, you know, he said himself yesterday that he was lucky enough to be born into this tradition, that he was able to flourish in that and he gave a nod to all these players, great players in other counties who are just unlucky by dint of where they were born that they're not going to be seen. So he he's just seems to have been around forever and seems to have been around for entire summers almost every single time mm. as well. So anytime... The, there's a big GA story, a big hurling story going on. Henry Shefflin is usually in and around. And then there with the injuries and everything else that he, that he came through. So, uh, yeah, he's done all right. We're going to keep going with our Shefflin chat now. Limerick's all-star Seamus Hickey uh, will join us in a minute. Malachy Clerken has arrived. Malachy, thanks for popping in. Not at all. Uh, it's funny with a player like Henry Shefflin or any of these complete legends of Irish sport who retire, you assume that they've got their mind up, made up from about a year in advance. The way he was talking at the press conference, it seems like... Well, maybe his mind was made up, but he could have been he could have been swayed over the last number of months. Or is that the sense you got? Is the sense you got? Because I know you interviewed him about a year ago, and you very much felt well, he, he is going to finish up. I yeah, from sort of the middle middle of last uh, summer, I think it was before the All Ireland semi final or quarter final. He he was at one of the press days down in Langtons anyway, and um, we were he he let sort of slip a line. He he had he had come on in the in the previous game. And scored a point or two, and um, it had been his first sort of major contribution for a while. And he he, he had sort of said, you know, it was good to contribute and good to to kind of you know get the team f- to the point where we're going to be chasing honours. Because obviously, and I think the, I think the words were uh, obviously for me the chance of honours are diminishing by the month. Um, you were thinking month, month, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But yeah. it, 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 essentially. That that seemed, to, and and he kind of tried to swallow the line a little bit. Then afterwards, we kind of, I kind of pushed him on it a wee bit, and he said, oh, "I'm not going to really make a decision on that. You, you, you all know I'm not really, I'm not saying anything about that or really thinking about it until until it's all over anyway." Um, but to me, that that was the sort of broadest hint that it, that we got anywhere along the way. Um, I can absolutely see what he was saying yesterday, though that that you know, it, when you think about the last year that he's had. Uh, you know, there has to be a certain part of him that's going. So why would I? Course, why would yeah. I quit? You know, like. And this know. is this is the great question, Malachi. That we're sitting here, and you can make a very, very good argument to say 
he's he should have stayed on for another year. And I would say if you're a top, if you're a sportsman uh, in an elevated position like Henry Sheffield, that's exactly when you should retire. When when someone when you can make an excellent argument for you to stay on. That, you I know, t- I totally disagree with you. Yeah, hundred percent. Flog it until he. Well, put it this way. It, I remember reading something that, that stuck with me a couple of years ago, and I genuinely, I was, I was thinking about it this morning, and I can't remember where I read it. But um, it, was, it was along the lines, it may have been about Michael Jordan, you know, coming back and playing for the Wizards or whatever, and this idea that he kind of damaged his legacy or something like that. And whoever wrote the piece that I was reading had this great line in it, he said, legacy, legacy is a sports writer's word. It doesn't. Yeah, it's not real. Like it's not a tangible thing. Um, and I remember talking to Dar O'Shea one time, and he he was he, he always said that that at the end of a year, and he played on. You know, he kept going and kept going. But at the end of a year, he'd look around the dressing room and make one consideration in his head. He'd look around and he'd say, "Can these guys get me an All Ireland next year?" Not can I get them one, but can these guys like is there is there one in this dressing room? And if there isn't, I'm gone. But if there is, it's gonna take an awful lot for me to say no, I'm done. Because once you're done, you're done. You know, there's no there's no being undone. You know, really. Um, so I I I disagree with you. I you're I, 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 I kind of yeah. think that he should. I kind I, I, yeah. I kind of think he should have kept kept at it. Yeah, I I actually don't think that. Anything he could have done next year would damage a legacy or anything no. like that. And you're absolutely right. That is a great line. That mm. it's we worry about legacy. Yeah. The actual sports people want to play sport. Yeah. But uh, we talk shite. They play sport. Yeah, sports and writers. So model. it goes. I think I think we have a new uh, new model for the yeah. new sl- uh, slogan for the podcast. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I just think that there's there's an element of leaving it on your own terms. Nothing to do with legacy. I think that there's an element of being happy with your lot yeah. and walking away from it. I, and, I, I, and look, and I can absolutely appreciate that in somebody who missed so much time with injury. There's because he did have a line yesterday where he said, "You know, being able, literally, being able to walk away is a great mm-hmm. thing." Yeah. All right, we were joined by an actual sportsman, Seamus Hickey. <laughs> Seamus, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you've been in touch with all the other intercounty defenders around the the country today, rejoicing. I, my head was sore. We were partying all night. Like <laughs> all, all the boys. Yeah, I, I just just back from coppers. It's, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm. I was just listening there, and Maliki summed up exactly what I was thinking. I was here sitting uh, like as a player, and I was just like, "What is Murph talking about? He's, <laughs> what is he talking about?" But um, I think Maliki summed it up 100. percent Legacy is something a sports writer will use, and I I really don't think that any great player, and especially one in amateur sport, and I suppose in our setting, in our games, I don't think there's a player who'd be as conceited enough to to say, right, sit back, you know, what do people think of me? Because at the end of the day, I really don't think a fellow like Henry would ever give a flying toss what anybody thinks outside of him. And I think the debate about whether he'd go or whether he wouldn't and the the fact that an argument can be made uh, for him to play in every year I think that that says an awful awful lot about a 36 year old Henry Shefflin mm. and it kind of kind of encapsulates everything that made him the best there's loads of players who've been big and strong there's loads of players with skill like but it, it was it was his competitiveness and his his um I suppose his, his competitive spirit that was so hard to 
match up against. And people say, we'll say about the Kilkenny team, uh, especially the the one from t- 2006 onwards, that you know it was their intensity. And some people kind of balked at that. That intensity is too simple a word to think to kind of think encapsulate what that team meant. But I think for me, it summed up exactly what what Henry was. Um, <laughs> the week the week after the All Ireland semi final last year. Um, I was in the depths of despair, and then I was called to do a, a training camp for uh, a bunch of under tens in Selbridge. Mm. Uh, it could have been under twelves down to, to under eight in Selbridge, and Henry was there. And I was talking away to him, and I was just like, I was in mourning, and I was like, "Well, Henry, how are you doing? Well done last week." And uh, we got to talking about it. And he goes, and out of nowhere, he goes. Dodge should have been sent off. I was like, what? He goes, you know, we should have got a goal from that. Richie should have stuck it. I'm like, lay off, Henry. Like, <laughs> you're just after, you're after winning by two points. You're in the Ireland final. Go shove it. I don't want to hear about this. Brilliant. And, and uh, I, just, I just, it took, it took, it took me a kind of, I took a step back and I said, all right, that's what makes, yeah. that's what makes this man tick. And, uh, <laughs> to be honest, he was right. He was actually 100%. <laughs> he, was, he, like, was, he was trying to find the words to console you and then the more he thought about the game the more he realised actually wait a minute we deserve to win this game by more. That's funny. Yeah, on, on, that's, that's exactly it. Like, yeah, on, on Monday morning just this week I was uh, interviewing some of the um, the women's rugby team uh, after they won, won on Sunday mm. and Alison Miller who scored the, the three tries um, I was... I was kind of saying, I, I was trying to delicately broach the fact that you probably didn't have to beat them 73-3, you know, mm. like 53-3 probably would have, you know. Yeah, done the know, job. Done the job. And uh, she cited exactly, she cited the Kilkenny Hurst, says they can never beat anybody by enough. Yeah, and Shefflin drives that. I mean, yeah. It's been said a lot in the last 24 hours or so that Henry is has no ego, he's ego-free, uh, Seamus. And I think that's true in the sense that people think about ego. He's, he's mm. definitely unaffected by fame. He's a normal guy. He's a, he's a really nice guy to talk to, really grounded, lovely family, all those sorts of things. But does it depend how you define ego? Because on the pitch, uh, he, maybe he had it and he, ha- he knew how good he was. He knew the impact he could make on his teammates. He knew the impact he could make on referees. He knew that he was good enough to to drive a team forward, which is an ego in a way of itself. He's a completely different person on the field, a completely different person. And you'll have you'll have an awful lot of people that are completely different people on the field. But like, you know, if I was if I if I went to school with Henry since I was four, and the two of us stepped on a field, he'd cut me asunder. He he was that kind of a guy. He he there was no sentiment. In how he played the game, and his well, from a, from a fellow who did his, who did his best to just kind of like not fall out of his way when he was running at you, uh, it just he was so single-minded about everything he did. That didn't seem you know, to rub people up the wrong way, particularly though. That's the kind of attitude, on-field attitude that you would think could make you enemies. Um, we certainly haven't heard of him. Ah, it was enemies. just it, to, to be fair, it was the. You know, it did rub it did rub people up the wrong way in the field. You saw how people tried to target him and how how he was how people tried to bully him. When he came on against Tipperary, the first thing last year in the All Ireland semi final was someone hit him a dig. You know, so so people people you know saw his impact and and had a go at him. Um, but it's like you said, it's it's how he carries himself away from the game, and it's the it's the respect that everybody has for him as a whole. 
you know, you can't, and I'd be one of those, I'd be one of those people, regardless of whatever happens on the field, even on the field, and if anybody can do that, you respect them the more for it. But he was the epitome of it, and how he carried himself, and the kind of, you know, regardless of, of what he'd say, and he'd never say it, but like he was the face of the game for 15 years plus. You know, he was the one guy that everybody looked at as, you know, what hurling is. Christy Ring was the same when he was playing. DJ was actually very much very much Henry before they started playing on the same team. I don't think any people realise how bloody lucky they are to have <laughs> someone like Henry Sheffield come along after DJ Carey. But he was that kind of, he was that face of the game and he was that guy that people respected and uh, and looked to as, you know, the ultimate competitor. I think you're right, Owen. I, 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 I'm really interested in that idea of ego because I think when, when people say that he doesn't have an ego, it's that they're basically saying he's not an arsehole. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and I think, we, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But I, I was thinking about him, him yesterday um, and, and it was actually before he mentioned that, that when he takes one performance away from his career, it's the drawn All-Ireland against uh, Galway. Um, I was at that match. My my job that day was to to do a man of the match piece, and that's a very kind of vague thing that you're sent to a match with because you know you know ten minutes from time you don't know who the man of the match mm. is, you don't know who's going to win the bloody game, you know. And yet I remember I, because and and afterwards the idea is that you kind of ring the desk and you go, well, will we do this guy, will we do that guy, or whatever. Uh, but I remember at the end of that game. Like it was, there was absolutely no doubt who was the man of the match. And if you remember rightly, that was the one where he had a last-minute penalty that he stuck over the bar. He didn't, you know, he didn't go for the to, to win the yeah. win the game. But when I, I you think of that performance that day, the ego it must take to decide that, and it, and anybody that was sitting in the stadium saw him. Whatever about what you saw on television, but what you saw him off the ball. From about ten minutes before half time that day, he went round and practically bullied the other five Kilkenny forwards into getting into this bloody game. We are getting destroyed here. This Galway team hockeyed us in the league final or the Leinster final earlier this year. We you people need to get up off your arse or we are going to lose this game. And the, the I think that 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 talks about what what you're yeah. talking about there. The ego involved in that in front of eighty thousand people in front of however many watching that. I am in charge of this situation. I am doing this and we are going to come through. It was my favourite quote of yesterday. It says, I've matches where I've scored a lot more than that game. I think I scored one point from play that day, but everything I stood for transcended itself that day and that was a special one for me. Mm. He, he says, he, he signs that one off, Seamus, by saying, I felt like I was out there on my own, which is uh, an amazing place for a team sportsman to be. I'll be honest, I was actually amazed. I was amazed that he actually put such words to, to that performance because... I, I, when everybody asked me what what I actually look back at as, as, as a kind of a hurling as a hurling fan and, and looking at Henry play um, when I wasn't when I wasn't involved myself um, that that second half performance against Galway was just it was just it's phenomenal and it was just the way he put it that you know to have to have your best performance on the final day uh, in the most trying of circumstances and to deliver when the goods needed to be delivered and. and I think there's there's rarely anything more satisfying in sport than being able to deliver when a championship is on the line, when the game is on the line, and when nobody else can do it but you. Yeah, and that's what he, and that that probably summed it up as he said. It was it's kind of everything that he was about. Yeah. 
uh, channel that uh, that point. Keith Duggan, uh, in his piece on it, made, makes, makes an interesting point, Malachy. He didn't deflect, Henry didn't deflect from his increasingly exalted place in Irish sport and life, but he carried it with, an, with easy grace, which is some feat. Mm. Uh, which is an interesting one, because he's gotten more and more famous over the years. And when we talk about the ego on the field, I think everyone's agreed that he seems... Com- very comfortable with yeah. everything that goes around that he doesn't uh, glorify in mm. in anything but he doesn't walk away from it either he's, you know he's not Joe DiMaggio either hating his family <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. which is which is a great thing as well yeah and he's he's always been able to you, you know when when you think about it as Seamus points out exactly he has been the face of Ireland for for like 15 years like when he started off you know say in 99 2000 uh the media, although there was plenty of media around, it it still wasn't like it is it is today, you know. And he, he yet all the way through it, he, you know, happily turned not maybe not happily, but certainly did his bit. You know, would turn up for launches, would do you know, did ad campaigns for Bank of Ireland, obviously did it for Lucasaid as well, and you know, you know, there's a financial imperative there as well. Um, but he he always exactly as Keith says. It never, it never seemed to be a real trial to him. You look around, like like somebody like Paul Galvin, it's a bit of a trial for him to do those things, and he does it on his own terms. But Henry could very easily turn up at uh, at any of these launches and sit and would chat away for twenty five minutes, half an hour, and answer everything. And you know, and and think of you know, he would be thoughtful as well. It wasn't you know, not just monotone, not just easy sort of four line answers. He, he, he was a thoughtful guy and he was an intelligent guy. You know, the, the, and and showed that over the years as well. Seamus, how hopeful are you that <laughs> this might somehow this might be the one loss that Kilkenny won't be able to cushion next season? Um, it's it's funny, you know, and and regardless of what I just actually said about him being the best, and 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 rightly so, I would say he's considered one of the best to play the game. I still think JJ is a bigger loss to that team at this present moment in time than Henry. Um, I know you can you can add up all the six retirements that that have gone, and you can add up all the medals that they have and the impact on that's going to that's going to have on a dressing room if they have that much experience leaving the dressing room. But uh, you know, I, I still think you know if 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 Brian Cody wasn't starting him last year, I, I don't I don't I didn't see him starting this year. Um, I saw the club final where you had the likes of Colin Fenley and TJ and and even Mike Fenley leading the charge. And and Henry wasn't the guy. He was he was just another guy. And that, that, maybe that's cruel to say, but that's the way I saw it. And you know, if he played against Kenny this year, it would have been you know it would have been great. And it would definitely the sentiment and the emotion would have would have had an effect on on the group. But would it have made them a better team? I I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that it would. Last year, last year I felt he was worth his place in the fifteen. But when they didn't use him, they, they still won in Ireland. Uh, you know, so it, so he was washed up, Seamus. That's our headline <laughs> for this. <laughs> Paraphrasing. Is that another sports journalist? Yeah, complete, completely misinterpreting. Uh, yeah, but like, you know, I, 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 I stand by that. Now, I, I just don't think, I don't think, as a player at this present moment in time, his loss is going to be as big as as the likes of, of JJ, who who really was that that rock in defence, even last year. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it at that. Listen, Seamus, great to talk to you. Malachi, thanks for coming in. No worries. Well, that's the question. That's going to be asked, answered tonight. Tonight. So now, 
come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight, tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Now, I think Cork have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. All right, hold on a second. Can we just go back to Seamus's story there? So Seamus Hickey, the game he's talking about, Ken, you might remember it as the Falcon game or the Hawk game when Seamus Hickey was interviewed on the Sunday game that evening and through his tears, noticed to standing to his right was a, an Etihad, um, I don't know, an Etihad male model <laughs> dressed as a shake uh, with a, a live hawk. A side. bird of a bird of yeah, prey. It, was, it was a slightly bizarre one, but the game itself was... Uh, as heartbreaking as it can be in, in a sporting context, Seamus poured his heart out there and then a few days later, he's training with Henry Shefflin. Not training with Henry Shefflin, but training kids with, with Henry Shefflin. And Shefflin decides to re- remind him that really Kilkenny should have won The margin of victory should be slightly should've... more. That's amazing. <laughs> and you can, you can almost picture Shefflin thinking, well, we've made the small talk. We might as well talk about what we're... We're, this game we were involved in. Mm, yeah. It's a bit, it's, there's no point having this elephant in the room. We might as well and, you know, talk I, it you out. Know, I suppose I could apologise for Limerick being the better team for about 55 minutes. Kilkenny getting two goals at vital times to basically crush you. Yeah. Crush you in your dreams. Your your foolish dreams, Seamus. <laughs> <laughs> but the more I think about it, really, a lot of missed opportunities for Kilkenny in that game. You Ooh. know, I mean, there was a real opportunity to lay a marker down there, which we missed. And that's something we're going to have to work on. It was a nice uh, answer from Seamus there, also the, when I put it to him, that it seems strange that Shefflin isn't disliked by other players, given how how he dominates on the pitch and what he puts into it. <laughs> I think Seamus was, mm, yeah, he's not exactly loved by opponents mm-hmm. on the field. <laughs> Certainly off the field, nobody has issues with him, but I don't think he goes around making, making friends from other counties when he's playing matches there. Murph, are you prepared to place Henry Shefflin? You said Brian O'Driscoll reckons he's, he's the best ever. Yeah. Are you, are you going to place him right now in the... Great he's 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 in my top five. That's I hate when people answer like that. Okay, so I, you I've want, asked you to place him. He's five? in my top. No, I want. You don't I, want, I want Henry Shefflin's specific position. Okay, it's very I'm simple. Going to say uh, fourth. Well, who is your top three then? Well, this, see, this is ridiculous. I, mean, I either have to name my top five or I don't. No. No. Well, you do. Yeah, you do. Simon's saying Simon's Simon's ordering me to let you. I kind of like like it hanging like this, just chef. No, I want to hear. I want to hear what they are, and I want to hear them in order now. Well, if you'll just sorry, if, could you just open the the second captain's handbook oh, there? On. No, just open the second captain's handbook. Just check out the pyramid of power. Yeah, where do you, you sit in the pyramid? Right beside me, but below. <laughs> oh, so sorry. let's just remember that, okay? okay. But no, but Ken seems so insistent on this that I, I I'm kind of blown away. Come I, on, people, come yeah, on. Can I give you permission to order Murph? To reveal his top three. Uh, Through the chair. Uh, one, Roy Keane. Now you've ruined it now. When you're giving a top three, you always start at three and build up. Well, it's me. I'm, I'm completely bored now. Roy Keane, number one. Uh, Roy McIlroy. No, Brian Driscoll, number two. Roy McIlroy, number three. Henry Shefflin, number four. Happy Kim. Yeah, well. <laughs> you got your, uh, your pound and of flesh. number five? No, no, no. No. You know no, what I, I don't? Five. What? I don't. I, well, you've got, you got no Gaelic footballers on your list. No, I don't. That's interesting. Why, why no Gaelic footballers? You, there, you are well, Gaelic there, footballer. there, hasn't, there hasn't been one dominant, probably Gaelic footballer in the way that... I don't think a Gaelic footballer is ever mentioned in quite the same way as Chris Ring was for about 50 years. 
and Henry no. Shefflin has been I more mean, recently. Is there? I'm not saying there haven't been brilliant Gaelic footballers. Sean Purcell was the answer for many people as to like the greatest of Colin Cooper time. in more recent times. But he I don't, won one I don't think people mention yeah. Colin Cooper in quite as definitively a dominant way as they do Henry Shefflin. I could be wrong. No, that's certainly no, Kerry they, they do, but no, they don't. No, and Mick O'Connell would have been you know a, a choice of some people. Pat Spillane maybe since but there's there is no one figure that bestrides the whole scene in the way that Shefflin did or O'Driscoll has or Keane did when he was playing for Ireland so I yeah I mean do you remember the interview we did with Mick O'Connell years ago yeah yeah I do he wasn't the most uh, effusive of characters no no he he, se- he seemed to football. despise the sport yeah. just despise the fact he was talking to us I'm not quite sure why. this is Mick O'Connell he was rowing rowing over Valencia, Valencia Island yeah, yeah. It's a great story. We thought this is going to be amazing talking about this, and uh, didn't turn out to be as mm. sparkling. But it was, maybe it was our does fault. He, he live on lived on Valencia. Yeah. So he'd, he'd row over and train, row over to a couple of footballs again, kick him around, head back over. Yeah, win but a few it, All Irelands. It wasn't even that he he hated the game. Now, how it's played now. He always appeared to hate the game. Yes, yeah. What, yeah. Why, why did you hate about it? I don't know. Ah. He had to keep rowing over to play it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah eventually sick. he started to get a bit. What annoying. he actually hated was rowing. Pavlovian connection between Gaelic football and having to row. Simon's popped over. Simon, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Tell us the future of Irish rugby is now going to be golden after going back to back. Yeah, I, winning one is really important, obviously, and sort of backing up the Grand Slam last year. But I think when you win two in a row, it's slightly different to when there's a gap between your wins because, <laughs> A, it shows you've evolved. Like, teams have had a real good look at you because you won it last year, but you've evolved and dealt with the changes or the new challenges they've posed to you. I think the fact that the expectation was there. We were favourites at the start of it. We had a big discussion before the Six Nations started, and we went, oh, hang on, Wales and England are as good as us. But we dealt with that expectation, came through and won it again. And to the motivation, I suppose, this has happened to the province as well in the past, the motivation from having a bad season or a bad performance is what's produced a really good performance in the past. But we played really well and still had the same motivation the next oh, year yeah, to be as good You again. don't have to lose one to win one. It's exactly. better just to win two. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just keep winning. Jerry Thornley is called into us. Jerry, have you, uh, have you recovered from Saturday, first of all? Um, yeah, I guess funny one because it's like it's almost like you get a it's a bit of a downer from it it's just like you know you wake up and you come home and whatever and all the work is done and then you're almost like a loss the boss is very nice give me a few days off but it's almost like no surely you want me to write something don't you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's going to be more to write about this and game how, and how do you follow that as well like yeah. how can the rest of the season possibly follow that I, I mean are the Six Nations ever follow that up again it was such a a unique um, memorable day, never a day quite like. We'll never see the like of it again. So yeah, it's almost deflating getting back to real life. What was your experience of the day? Because you've yeah, you've been writing rugby for a long time. Yeah, now. yeah. Very different to anything else that you've. Very different. Covered. Um, starting out in the morning, um, watching the first half from the hotel room. I think it was or around and about in town of the Wales game. Getting out there at Newton halftime interlude to get out there, and then on arrival discovering Wales scored two tries in two minutes, and think, oh hey, they're going to cut loose now. I must admit, I fancied Wales at minus 22 to a huge degree, in part through revisiting Rome 2007. As an article last week, talking to Dennis Hickey, Ron O'Gar and others, it just suddenly dawned on me, you know, Italy let in 100 points virtually in the last two weekends of back-to-back games last year against England and Ireland. A good French side might have put 50 on them the week before. They only had a six-day turnaround. They would nothing really to play for. So I thought Wales would set the bar very high. And then th- those results came in. And then you, it was uncannily like 07 because they conceded a late try. It was a 14-point turnover, which brought the target within range. And then I genuinely thought that Ireland would attain the target. Genuinely thought they would. 
until the hog try. And even then, the, the Heaslip intervention, like to get his left hand underneath him, then to bring his right arm around and actually dislodge the ball from his hand. It was such a wonderful piece of corner flagging. And from a team that only conceded three tries, it was in a day that it rained tries, you sense that, you know, the 27 tries scored, it might be the one that was saved that's going to define the day. And then, of course, going into the marquee, and there's this kind of surreal Joe Schmidt, Paul O'Connell press conference without knowing the outcome. And everybody's kind of like, this is yeah. just filling blank. This is just filling space. Why are they really here? It was immediate stuff for online. Did you file a report for online without knowing what was going on? And then you'd hear the. It was amazing scenes outside because thousands upon thousands of congregate from every vantage point to look at the big screen in the West Town car park. They were on the, they were on the steps, they were running steps, and I ended up watching some of the game with six Frenchmen who'd come over wearing, the Fren- wearing French and Irish flags to cheer for Ireland against Scotland and then to watch the French right. game. So everybody was cheering. Like, Scots, Irish and French were all cheering. Alele Blow was running around as fans outside the ground. And I went back to the marquee and we watched it there. And that was almost kind of surreal because you'd hear the cheers back outside again. You could use the, bar- the cheers just as a barometer of how well France or England were doing. It went really quiet when England were, had got a couple of scores. And then, the, you know, there was these huge cheers and chants of Alélia Blue again when France got... So, damn, I'm going to go back out and watch it with the fans. Right. So I went back out to the car park and, like everybody, got a little bit carried away. Um, fan with typewriter and all that stuff. Can't say I kept my composure. And it was very hard to with so many very ecstatic Irish people jumping around you. A lot of beer being spilled, some of it over me. <laughs> and, um, and then discovering that, that you know, you and Uge are taking a quick tap of France for playing on. <laughs> Wait, what's going on? And then you're convinced you're going to lose it and Nigel Owens and, you know, we're calling the two defeats against the All Blacks and Nigel Owens was the referee. And no, it's not going to cost the Six Nations title, is he? And then just seeing all these fans charging back into Murrayfield for the reception and that unreal reception in the dark and the gloom and, and in fairness to Scots, they put on a great party. And then Joe Schmidt and Paul O'Connell came back over and gave their real press conference as champions. So it was a long day and... A very surreal day and and very very incredibly exciting. Yeah, well, it was exciting watching on TV as well, Jerry. This is, yeah, this is this, I actually feel so jealous now uh, listening to all Sorry, of that. But no, no, no it, like. I know. Yeah, I, I, I wanted a tone down version, not how exciting it really was. Uh, and then I had to write for two days. Of solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two days of solid solid work after that. Jerry, it was so mesmeric. It had such an impact on anybody that watched it. People in the stadium, people on TV. Like it's an incredible experience to watch on TV three games in a row like that as well. Yeah. Could it change the Six Nations forever, the, w- the way we think about it, the perception of it from the people playing it, the coaches, the Southern Hemisphere, everybody? Funny you should say that because I didn't write that at the time and I haven't seen it said, but actually, well, it, kind of been, it has been hinted at in, in fairness and George Hook and others on television said it might. I think it genuinely has and I'll tell you why. Because again, in revisiting the past last week, Simon, and going back to Rome in 07, and it was like the night before the game, Dennis Hickey made a very powerful speech to all the team. Look, there's a title on the line here. It was obviously his last game. It would be a last chance, as it turned out, for a few others to win a Six Nations title. And they're, growing up, that generation of players, there was more kudos attached to winning a Triple Crown than there was a Six Nations title. Because the history of the tournament had started out as the four home unions. So winning the Triple Crown was the Grand Slam, to all intents and purposes. And Ireland had only ever won two Grand Slams, so Therefore, you know, to lose to Wales, the Grand Slam dream was gone. But there was a realisation, wait a second, in 07 it started and, you know, titles are not to be sniffed at. And Ireland won a title last year and it was a great way to, for Brian O'Driscoll to see off his career and they did it in the grand style, going to Paris, beating a very good French team, on son, three tries to two. And I just feel that in the last three seasons, culminating in all three one and points difference and culminating in that dramatic last day scenario, but all three days and the best of all last Saturday, I think that Triple Crowns have lost complete currency now and winning a Six Nations title 
and winning that trophy, which was only invented in the 2000s, I think 2003 or something like that, the first time the trophy was, came to life. I think now winning the Six Nations matters more than ever. And I think you'll see it next year in the... Uh, Winning the Six Nations title and that trophy is almost now as good as winning a Grand Slam. And it gives, and it's proper order because it gives more respect to the Italians and the French who've made the Six Nations tournament. Um, and I think as well, it will dawn on people, but it hasn't dawned on people because of the World Cup. It's a bit of a cheat, but nobody's ever actually won the championship outright three times in a row. Ireland could make history next year. And that hasn't dawned on people. And I think because of the World Cup. And that's a really incredible thing. To, now, it's a slight cheat because, you know, they... they they didn't decide the title on points difference until I don't know when. Did the event of Six Nations, whatever. Yeah, I think it was 2000. So in like in 87, 88, 89, France won it in 87, shared it with Wales in 88 yeah. and won it in 89. And, and the only time before that I could find in history was 69, 70, 71 when Wales won it first time. In 1970, they shared it with France and then they won it in 71. But technically speaking, Ireland could win it for the first time ever three times in a row outright and I think that will be that's going to get quite a lot of currency when the Six Nations kicks up and running next season Yeah that's interesting so the biggest change in perception is how important the Six Nations is I think you I, I there's that right obviously yeah. but I also think days like that and, and they happen in all sports they have such an impact that I think they plant ideas in coaches' minds and players' minds and it's it's hard to get away from because that last day will have way more impact than the other four weeks when you when you think back on things. And that's how eras change and that's how styles change. And I think other the Southern Hemisphere looking on will think differently about us too. And that matters. How your opposition think about you matters going forward. Yes, true. And I would say they carp on about the lack of style and the lack of skills and the lack of ex- expansive intentions in the Southern Hemisphere about the Six Nations. But I'd say they were green with envy watching on last weekend. They will never have a conclusion like that. You know what I mean? With mm. two or three of their teams going for it in two games. They can't because they only have two venues on a given day. And even that's an expansion for them in a recent one. And I think they, for, for all the brilliance of the, of the Tri-Nation Stroke Rugby Championship, and there's no doubt, you know, when South Africa played the All Blacks in latter years, it's been, generally been the match of the year. But what the Six Nations provided last Saturday will be anything as good as the Tri-Nations has done in recent years in terms of a day better. And I think they would be envious because A, it's an older tournament and B, it's now increased its currency and its value. And I think you're right in the approach of it. There's a clamour naturally enough, Simon, for a bonus point scoring system. Matt Williams has led the charge in that and he's, he's been consistent in that. And maybe he has a point. But now with the realisation that Grand Slams are so difficult to win and that the fact that it's come down to such tiny margins in each of the last three years, a Wales-England decider two years ago where Wales had to win by whatever it was, seven and won by 27. And then effectively came down to a score of the last play, France and Ireland last year. And again this year, last play and 10 points and points difference um, spreading the top three teams. I think it should dawn on teams from now for next season, even without a points, bonus points going to go for it earlier and get sure, tries. Though. Yeah, I'm not sure. Something like you say, well, points difference will decide titles, and I would say Wales and England are now regretting. Certainly, Wales maybe in the home game against Scotland, for example. Sure, but but Ireland won the title on points difference based on the, how few points they conceded and how ridiculously yeah. good their defence was. Yeah. Eleven points per game th- with three tries over three the tries. course of the tournament. I'm just I'm picture I'm trying to picture say Ireland in Paris next year playing France, for example. Are we going to be playing like we did against Scotland? No. I don't think so. It'll be another grind no, but like I th- it was I this I think year. if teams start getting a lead, say Ireland are playing Wales at home, which happens the odd time, and they, they get a sort of 10-point lead with 10 to go, I think because the teams are getting tighter and tighter and closer and closer, and there'll almost always be a loss from everybody involved, um, 
that they know a loss has to be absorbed at some point, so it's mm-hmm. going to come down to points differential. So when, you're, when you find that opportunity, you're 10 points up against, say, Wales at home, you drive at home. You don't just go into yourself and, and be super cautious and just play the kicking game. I think you drive it on. I, th- I, I just think it's, it's happened two years in a row because people say last, last weekend was an amazing finish, but the previous year was also amazing. Yeah. It's, it's tending in that direction. Well, even say the, the game against Italy, right? Uh, our first game in this campaign, everyone was quite down about it. I was, I was, I'm trying to pat myself on the back here, but I was, I was looking at it going, we actually won with a pretty decent margin, mm. which is, this could win us the championship, ultimately. Yeah. And it might have seemed a bit ridiculous at the time, but all those games do matter. So in that context, I guess it, it's true. It's when you're leading, this is all probably bad news though for Italy and, and Scotland over the next couple of years, that every team is going to go out and say, actually, we've got to hammer these guys. Yeah, they're the whipping boys. And the more the tournament progresses, they become the whipping boys. That's why, you know, English bleating about how the last day panned out and how the Scots and the Italians weren't competitive. Hold on a while now. England went to Rome last season and put on 50 on them as well on the last day. So this is not new territory. England had the advantage of kicking off last and at home against a side who were playing away six days apart the last two games. So, you know, the dice loaded in all sorts of different ways. You could argue that Ireland drew the short straw and having to play Italy first up. Italy first up are always much tougher than Italy last up. And mm-hmm. so it's proved last season again this season. But you're right, I think, I think, I do believe that the value of pressing home your advantage, as Simon says, will, this will remind people that, that nobody will ever forget what happened this season. It's there now forevermore. It's in the back of everybody's minds. Jeepers, this, this whole thing could come down to one score yet. That's implanted now forevermore. So you, I would so you actually don't need the bonus point. That, well, and, I'd say for, let's for the see. Winning team. Let's see. We might not. It could come to pass and in a year or two's time we'll all have another rethink. No, we need more days like that final Saturday yeah. in 2015. If the bonus point is there to make you score as many tries as you can when you're already for, for the four point, for the mm. four try bonus, if it's already going to be in people's heads now, well, actually, we need to score more tries anyway because this is going to come exactly. to the points difference yes. almost certainly. Yeah. Then, then the, it seems like the bonus point is a bit redundant there. Almost so, yeah. Um, it would change the dynamic for sure. I mean, you think back to Ireland away to Wales and that mauling try. It, got, it would have got them a bonus point defeat, which would have been, could have been very valuable. But in actual fact, it was the mall that got them the seven points, which ultimately won them the title and actually denied Wales the title. Mm. Otherwise, it would have been Wales up in first place and Ireland in third place. That's how tiny the margins were. So the value in keeping going for 80 minutes of every game in this tournament now, I would have thought has been underlined forevermore, no? Yeah. The other thing we were discussing a little bit off air was that we're going into this now. It's inevitably minds turn to the World Cup. Yep. Um, it's the first time we've ever backed up a championship. We've got probably the best coach in the world, probably our best ever coach with Ireland, certainly. And then you think about the World Cup, expectations are sky high. And then immediately everybody goes, oh, 2007, we had our high expectations. Brian O'Driscoll said we had a real chance of winning it. And therefore, the team played badly. It's as if the expectations caused the poor performance. Yes. And that's never been properly analysed, where there's probably no relationship between the two. I mean, the players have never been able to explain it. No, they've never have. And all the books and all the interviews and all the articles we've ever read, we've never really had a proper good explanation for it, other than it appears as if the management panicked a little and they flogged them on the training ground and they went into games whacked and tarred and they didn't rotate the squad and so forth. And there's a few lessons to be learned there, for sure. Irish rugby does struggle and the Irish sporting mentality does struggle to be, you know, favourites and weight of expectation. It doesn't sit well very often with Irish teams and with Irish individual sports stars as well. It's just something we've struggled with. I would have thought this is slightly different in that they're going in with back-to-back titles. In 07, they were going in with back-to-back near misses, which was rather the norm. And the French were still the bogey team. 
You know, the French had come and won with the last-minute try by Vincent Clerc, and then France were hosting Ireland in the pool stages. And then by the time France were hosting Ireland, France had been beaten by Argentina, and Ireland had struggled against Namibia and Georgia. So both teams were on their downers, but in any way, France won. Going into this World Cup, I don't think it affects the French psyche too much that they haven't won against Ireland once in an entire World Cup cycle, which is extraordinary. Mm. Two draws and two defeats. I do think it's very significant from the Irish psyche and mentality that they go into that French game knowing and believing that they can actually win because they've done it the last two times back-to-back for the first time in ages and four years in a row without a defeat to them. I can't remember the last time that happened. Certainly not the professional year. So they've rem- the French aren't the bugbearers of York and I think that's important from an Irish mentality. The French mentality is altogether different. They know in their... They, not only does everybody else know the French can just shred form right up until a week beforehand, they know it themselves. Yeah. Look at the way they played in Twickenham. Look at the tries they produced. There wasn't a near, near hint of a try. If they the kicked the ball over the bar, they probably would have won the game. Yeah, yeah. And Exactly. I mean, in actual fact, it should never have come to that kind of finale if Pleason, if they'd had a proper goal kicker. Yeah. And they'd, they'd come to work up, and I'd say they've had about seven different goal kickers in the five nations, this, and the six nations just passed. Presumably they only have one or two in the World Cup. And he only has to, he has to retain himself to a squad of 30, so it can't be this chopping and changing. They won't have had any top 14 matches for once. They'll have a good three-month run at it, and they'll be altogether a better prepared team, and they'll be very dangerous. We're just, just on the expectation issue, we're going to have to uh, suffer six months of Joe Schmidt trying to dampen this and keep it down, uh, which is understandable from a coach's point of view. But we had Luke Fitzgerald on uh, our TV show last night and Luke was saying, listen, bring it on. Bring the expectation on. It's not going to change me. I, I put pressure on myself and that's how I... Uh, it's an internal pressure that I that I put on anyway. And obviously in his specific case, he had to come back from injuries and all those things. But he didn't seem to see an issue at all uh, with with fans and media getting excited about this thing. So I just, I'm just a bit concerned, like Simon, that people will feel the need to tone down the, the excitement levels coming up to the tournament. We, we may as well. It's not going to have any impact on the team, I don't think, or is it, if people say that they have a chance of winning this thing? Yeah, that's a good one, because I do remember in 07, a lot of the players saying, we're going over to have a crack at winning this competition. And it was the talk. There was a lot of high expectations around. It was the 15 untouchables who had slaughtered England in Crow Park by by 30 points. Um, they'd been kept in cold storage. they avoided the tour to Argentina. They were, you look back at that team and virtually every one of the starting 15 had 50 plus caps and were aged between 25 and 29. I mean, in actual fact, the likes of Paul O'Connell, Ronan Gar and Brian O'Driscoll were at their absolute peak. Peter Strainer, Dennis Hickey was still flying. You know, Dempsey, Darcy, they were all there, Horgan. They were, it, was a, it was a fantastic side and it came up incredibly short for reasons we'll probably never fully but, but, understand. But as Simon says, but, I, 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 I don't And you worry fr- that that might have been something to do with it. You, 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 do, you do feel it you might have, have been. To. I don't remember a World Cup where Ireland talked the talk so much before when they went into a tournament. I don't remember it ever happening in a World Cup before or since. But what's different this time as well, another big difference, aside from the back-to-back titles and the belief in Joe Schmidt and playing a game at a time and a really good coaching ticket as well, lest we forget, like Les Kiss, mastermind in defence, had only conceded three tries. Uh, one thing I completely missed until I went back and watched the video of the game on Monday was how good the line variations were. I mean, the try-off one was just straight off the training ground, but they had a lot of good variations of line moves. There's an excellent coaching ticket there as well. And in 2011... Ireland did have its best World Cup ever. Mm. It did beat Australia. It did win its group for the first time ever. It got to quarterfinal and ran into a very good Welsh team and lost a very fine quarterfinal, perhaps being slightly overconfident, perhaps not playing as well on the day, perhaps making a few tactical choices like kicking to the corner when they might have kicked for goal, whatever. They lost to a very good Welsh side who came within one refereeing decision of a final and would have had a real shot off the All Blacks in the final. That was a good Welsh side and Ireland have no right to beat them. But I do think... Paul O'Connell, I do remember Paul O'Connell saying afterwards, you know, that might, we might have, we might have 
actually put the new benchmark in place, gone over a threshold there by actually achieving something at the World Cup, yeah. by having a good World Cup and memory. I'm, and, and I'm not sure that, I'm just not convinced that Paul O'Connell or Johnny Sexton will in any way be negatively impacted performance-wise in this World Cup by expectations, by I, outside I, I expectations. I think teams talking themselves up and then failing. The reason it, it does look bad afterwards. It looks bad afterwards. I think it's the punishment you get from the media is worse and that's why players don't say too much about themselves. But I don't think it affects performance. I really don't. I mean, they, they're dealing with it all the time. It's not, it's not as if they suddenly have to deal with the idea of being a team better than the ones they're playing. And also, we must remember that Joe Schmidt's Leinster became very, very efficient at this, at living with it, the expectation of going into nearly every Heineken Cup campaign as favourites to win the tournament and delivering twice in a row. And there was huge expectations on that team. You know, when they went over to play Ulster in the final and Twickenham, everybody expected them to win. And boy, oh, did they win. I mean, they won in style. And they could live with that. And I think the Irish team is learning to live with expectations as well. And in some respects, you know, it might have been the best balance to win back-to-back titles, but not a Grand Slam. You learn more from your defeats than your victories. And Ireland will have learned so much from that defeat against Wales as compared to the 11 wins. The one time they've had to come from behind and their game management seven, eight minutes ago when they got back to four points. I know they questioned that within the group and understandably so. It's easy in the cheap seats, but maybe they should have played a bit more territory there. Um, playing a referee. You know, they're going to run into Wayne Barnes probably in this World Cup. Yeah. And, you know, Ireland cannot afford to be spooked by Wayne Barnes. They're just going to have to learn. <laughs> I know it's hard not to be. And we can be. But the players and the management can't be. They just have to do their homework on him and, and adapt to him on the pitch at the time. And it, it might, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And there won't be that expectation of going in as Grand Slam champions as well. There will be a reality. And that is, there's only a score between England, Wales and Ireland at the final table. And that's how fine the margins are. England and Wales are in a group with Australia. And one, a potential winner will go out of the group stages. And it's going to be a very contestable World Cup. You know, there are a lot of teams there who can, who can potentially win this thing. And Ireland are one of them if you look at the draw. All right, Jerry, listen, great to have you in on your day, on your day off. I'm sure there's work available upstairs if you want some. <laughs> I'm not going up. <laughs> Staying to the second floor and out of here. Cheers, thanks. He's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Yeah, I'm sticking with Luke on this one. Let's just embrace the favouritism. Yeah, when I was uh, listening to you there, actually, the one thing that really uh, came to mind was Jim McGuinness when Donegal qualified for the Iron Final um, first time around. And he was, you know, everyone kind of went up in the press night. It's like, Jim, how are you going to handle You know, the county's gone mad. This is insane. You know, like, how are you going to, you're going to try, I'm sure, get the players out of the county for as long as you can, try and keep a lid in the expectation. He's like, well, I'm going to manage my team. And if people want to go absolutely crazy, good luck to them. Absolutely brilliant. How often do we get to an Iron final? Basically, in our history, this is, you know, our second time. So... Am I going to go around the county and tell people to take down their flags and not enjoy the fact that you're in Ireland? Of course not. Mm. Go mental. Go crazy. And I, I kind of feel that, like... Build a golden calf and worship it in the town square. Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a completely illogical, s- biblical reference our, there. Our, our culture there, teaches us that you must suffer in order to be rewarded. 
So you um, can't you can't go out there have a good time and then expect to win. That's against all against everything we know about morality in this country. Yeah. Well, I, uh, Jimmy Guinness doesn't agree, and neither do I. We have a really really good rugby team. If we if if we go to the World Cup and we're telling ourselves not to get. Don't get, to, and I mean, I'm not even talking about the players now. I'm talking about like fans. Yeah, but this is it because Joe yeah. Schmidt. It's not. It's not. We're not just talking about how he would like his players to speak. We're talking about every opportunity he gets. He talks to the media when he's asked about expectations and tries to kill them. You know, yeah, well, really, really just tries to keep them as low as possible. Yeah, well, we have a really good rugby team. Uh, we've won back to back Six Nations titles. We have a World Cup being played on our doorstep, effectively, with the best coach in the world. I'm sorry. I'm going to get a bit excited about that. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not going to apologize. And uh, I have rather less to lose than Luke Fitzgerald. (laughs) (laughs) There is also that. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, why not? But also then, when Ireland failed, be really angry about it. Well, they're going to have to have a pretty good excuse for me, I can tell you. Coming up in second captain's football. That's... Yeah. (laughs) They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you're doing down here, you surely man. (laughs) It's football, Owen. Uh, This weekend, Ireland, Poland, sell out in the Aviva Stadium. The global game. The global game comes comes to Dublin. Comes to Dublin and. we're up against uh, a pretty scary-looking Polish team. Yeah. Big lads, are they? They are big lads, and they are talented lads. Fine, strapping, talented lads. Strapping, uh, fast, uh, lethal, shooting, uh, scary Polish strikers. Oof. That's what we're up against. Uh, so it's an unfamiliar challenge for the Irish team. But Richie Sadler's going to be in to tell us how we can navigate it. Yeah. What we can learn. What can football learn from... The great sports of hurling and, of course, rugby. <laughs> That's uh, the favourite theme of, of any, uh, you know, you can just imagine all the Irish internationals, the football players, thinking, yeah, what can we learn from this? Well, we've already been working a little bit on that football show and we're just going to put a few finishing touches on it. It may even be ready now as you listen to this one. You may, If so, if it is ready, just let this podcast roll into the next one. Mm. That's certainly how it works on, on my phone anyway. And just, just don't even, th- whatever you're considering doing, that isn't listening to Ken's football show. Well, you're going to have to delay that by you're going to have to delay 50 that. minutes or something. And just listen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Kenneth. Thank you too, Kieran, and thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 